Join culture creator Ramel Wallace, museum CEO Micah Parson, philanthropist Erwin Jacobs, and urban agriculturist Diane Moss on season two of Stop and Talk, a podcast about the future of the San Diego region. How can we create a vibrant region that celebrates our cultural richness and economic strength? Find out and hear other San Diego experts on Stop and Talk. Discover seasons one and two now at stopandtalkpodcast.com. That's stopandtalkpodcast.com. Are you passionate about resolving conflicts and making positive impact in the world? Then USD's Conflict Management and Resolution Master's program may be for you. Learn to address conflicts at all levels, from personal disputes to global crises. Join the Kroc School's dedicated community, fostering peace and understanding while you acquire practical skills to navigate diverse settings. Apply now and be the change you want to see in the world. Visit sandiego.edu slash peace slash VOSD. That's sandiego.edu slash peace slash VOSD. This podcast is brought to you in part by the estate of Bob Nelson. Bob was a lover of all things San Diego and a longtime supporter of Voice of San Diego and its podcasts. We at Voice of San Diego are honored to have his support during his lifetime and continued support through his estate planning. All right, so uh, let's pick who goes first. Rock, paper, scissors. Andy? Rock, paper, scissors, shoot. Rock, paper, scissors, shoot. Rock, paper, scissors, shoot. Welcome to the Voice San Diego podcast in partnership with News Radio 600 Coco. I am Scott Lewis, the CEO and editor-in-chief at Voice San Diego, and I'm joined, as always, by managing editor Andrew Keats. What's up, Andy? Scott, how you doing, man? And, of course, I'm here with Andrea Lopez Villafaña. What's up, Lopez? What's up, Lewis? All right, coming up on the show this week, it is summertime news, not summertime blues. You may be feeling the dog days of summer sinking in, but we are here for you. We have each collected... Uh, two or three things that we think are interesting and we're going to be following and we'll run you through that in local politics, local public affairs, the future of civilization and such. Let's get into that. But first, I had this experience I have often, which is that sometimes I'm reading an article and... I'm enjoying it. I'm having fun with it. And then local, my local world appears in it. Yeah. Like sometimes it's literally Voice of San Diego did this. And I'm like, oh, that's us. That's, I was really interested in the story. And it might be because it's something about what we're <laughs> doing. And then sometimes when you're just reading something random like nonprofit media <laughs> financing. Yeah, we come up. Yeah, it's shocking. Yeah. You're like, oh, that's so cool. What a coincidence. <laughs> uh, and then the other thing I, I, I have to respect um, is articles that are able to be quite a bit longer and interesting than their reportable value, mm, right? Yeah. Like it, it's a real skill for a reporter to take. That's that's game recognized game for game, you. Yeah, to take, to take what, you, if you have a hundred word story of hundred words of new information yeah. and to make it seven to 900 words of of really interesting information 
that is not new, but it still like pulls a guy like me through. Very impressive. Clap. Mm-hmm. A little clap for that. Okay. And that happened this week. Business Insider's exclusive story, breaking news, that the world's richest man, Elon Musk, has two un- previously unreported children, twins, that uh, he had with one of his top executives. I love, I just, I got to jump in here. His response to this. Perfect. A real masterclass in how to handle embarrassing information or potentially embarrassing information, potentially scandalous information in a way that is like, just disappears, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, just treating shamelessness as a superpower. He he just says, uh, yeah, well, I'm worried about whether the human race will be large enough to colonize Mars. So I'm doing my part. Are you? Yeah. <laughs> like he he genuinely point confronted by a reporter who's saying it seems like you had two children with the in with the somebody who works for you that no one knows about. And he points the finger back at the entire human race and says, why aren't you having more children? It's just such a billionaire <laughs> thing to think that the world population trajectory is something that you need to take care of with your own like activity. Well, w- <laughs> what, what absolutely the world needs, what the r- human race needs is more is of my more, progeny. Is more of my progeny. Uh, so this story delivered on those two fronts. One is I'm reading it and I'm just engrossed, mm-hmm. even though, again, there's a hundred words of new information, who the executive was, that he has twins, and then the rest is all this news. And one of the pieces of context they included was about Lorena Gonzalez. So, <laughs> yeah, former assemblywoman Lorena Gonzalez comes up in this story because the woman who had these twins is a top executive uh, Siobhan Zillis of Elon Musk's empire. And she is cited in this uh, piece explaining the twins and the population problem. And she's cited talking about Lorena Gonzalez and how sad Lorena Gonzalez's tweet from, what was it, 2020, when she said, F Elon Musk. Yeah. And it was, it was so, everybody was so shocked yeah. that she said that. Which, by the way, if you're going to do a tweet that's just F Elon Musk, yeah, just do it. Like spell it out? Oh, did she not spell it out? No, it's an asterisk. Uh, it was F asterisk C-K. Yeah, you might as well just spell it out. At that point. You've put it in what my are you, brain. Yeah, what I, are you doing? What are you shielding <laughs> me from at yeah. that point? The signifier and signified relationship remains the, the, the same. Yeah. So Siobhan Zillis, the, the now woman who had these twins, she's an executive. She, she said, this makes me sad. <laughs> no one's perfect, but I've never met anyone who goes through more personal pain and fight for an inspiring future for humanity and has done so tirelessly for decades. Everyone's entitled to their opinion, but mine is there's no one I respect and admire more. Now, she's not talking about Lorena. No. She's talking about Elon Musk. Right. So... This article explains, so I guess as, as, as adding value to his excuse in this situation, which is that he's trying to repopulate the earth with his, with his <laughs> progeny, uh, <laughs> this is so good, uh, is, is this discussion. How that, many people went into public affairs, like got college degrees in public affairs, and it turns out 
that every single piece of information that they learned, the opposite is the case. Go on. What do you mean? Well, like, no. What are I you saying? I don't think crisis managers were trained right. to claim that out-of-wedlock children that you've hidden from the public are actually your attempt to repopulate the human race. No, it's it's bold. It's it, bold. It is a bold response. But the whole story is is about his long now standing concerns about the population problem and the trajectory and that, boy, things are looking hairy for the human race, which is, you know, uh, okay, uh, uh, why that's a problem. I, I understand economically why that's a problem. You know, how do we pay for Social Security and things like that if, if there aren't younger people working and supporting the older folks as they retire and such? I understand those kinds of concerns. But... uh it seems like Musk's concerns are a little bit more direct. And it says in, a, in this article, in a very deadpan sentence, <laughs> part of Musk's concern about declining birth rates appears to stem from the idea that there won't be enough humans to populate Mars. I, I mean, this is in the context of him having two out-of-wedlock out children with an, a, somebody who works for him. Yeah, he's successfully gotten the story <laughs> to be about populating Mars <laughs> yeah. when it's about him having children with his executive. Yeah, I'm very impressed. Yeah. Well, anyway, Lorena Gonzalez makes an appearance, as does uh, Brain Implants and Mars, in the story about his tune, undisclosed previously children. Can I uh, just briefly tie this back to San Diego Public Affairs? I just, I just, Obviously. I just recalled. Uh, Company with a loose affiliation to Musk, Hyperloop. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Remember when uh, Sandag's new proposal was going to involve whipping us around with Hyperloops all over the place? Do you remember my impression of the Hyperloop? Yes, I. You get into it. I don't want to do. And it, I don't and you, want. <laughs> you get into it and you'd be like. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so glad this is a show for your ears and yeah. not your eyes. <laughs> Uh, but the the most cited example of why the Hyperloop was going to be an integral part of the transportation system of the future in San Diego is that Escondido to downtown, just, there's just no transit solution that's going to be competitive with driving. No. But a Hyperloop could just whisk you from that, in that, that distance, no problem. Again, it would be stressful on your body, I feel like. But yeah. And so after a few months of hashing out this idea sandag invited a representative from hyperloop to present That's to right. the sandag board at their annual retreat and like the first or second slide of his presentation was like so we're not a good solution for inter-region travel mm -hmm. yeah. we we don't you don't unlock the benefits of hyperloop until over 100 miles traveled so like you can take this to santa fe <laughs> but, but a 40 mile trip from escondido wouldn't work and I swear, like the board members, everybody was looking around, like, uh, "So what? Uh, what does this guy do? So, so what do we do? What, what are you here for then?" <laughs> Great. All right, we have just settled who's going to go first on this summertime blues, I mean, news roundup. Uh, Andy won the rock, paper, scissors competition, which is odd because I'm so much better at game theory than he is. But Andy, take it away. What is the thing you are watching or looking at or interested in right now? 
Okay, I, I my my first choice here. I, I want to get it off the table quickly so we can move on. Did a basically a full episode on this last week, but been thinking about it ever since, and I'll be interested to see whether there are any other substantive, meaningful developments regarding situation around 101 Ash Street. Oh my God, you went to 101 Ash Street first. Fantastic. I had to. Sorry. Good I job. Just, I want to just get it off the off the plate. Just, you know. It, it's always there. Just deal with it. Okay, fine. Eat yeah. your broccoli. Yeah. Then you can move on. There'll be cupcakes waiting. Uh, <laughs> I think it's fair to say that if there is any meaningful substantive change in the situation between now and whenever that settlement ends up coming before the city council again, that we'll be able to declare that this really wasn't about giving the public more time to digest the information. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's primarily the thing that I'm looking for. If there is some some new piece of information that drops, some new development that occurs, we will then be able to conclude that that and not giving the public lots more time was the real reason for the delay. So did you read Michael Smolin's column this, this weekend? Did he just say what I said? No, he he, okay, good. he really like in a very un-Smolin's way, like came out swinging oh, yeah. against, it wasn't just analyzing the deal. He's like, this is a bad deal. This is a bad settlement. And he just kind of breezed past what I'm becoming more and more convinced of is that the mayor wants the building. He wants to own the building. He wants the city to own it so that they can make decisions about its future and the future of the whole area mm -hmm. together. Meaning a court victory that results in them not having the building is actually something he does not want. Yeah, I think that even I have understated so far how unexcited they are about winning a lawsuit that leaves them still uncertain about what happens to these buildings. Like, I don't think they're into it at all. I think they want the buildings. I think they want to put everything else to rest. And so I think this just brings up a point I've been making maybe subtly, which is like the mayor is not good at laying out what he wants to see for a given situation. Like the sports arena, like the, the you know, midway redevelopment stuff. He doesn't really he hasn't really done a good job saying like what he wants to see and why and how he's driving toward it, right? Or why why this process that he's endorsed or put in motion is the way to get where somewhere, where. Mm -hmm. And then this is the same thing. Like he's saying we want to settle it, but he's not doing a very good job, I think, outlining what I think could be the only compelling reason for settling this right now, which is to gain control of the buildings and then do something with them. Okay. There should be a price tag at which you would not want that, though. Right? I agree, but I think it's muddled enough yeah. that that that's not... You have to move on to another decision point at that point. Okay. You know what I mean? Yeah, I do. Do you think we'll get an answer this summer? Uh, I think... Well, I think if I'm going to put a stake in the ground and say that if there's a substantial development that between now and it coming back that we can conclude that it wasn't really about time. I mm -hmm. guess in fairness, I, I must allow for the fact that if something doesn't change and it does in fact come back, then in, I, I have, I have mm -hmm. no choice but to, to allow that it really was about time. Um, although 
the poker player in me wants to leave room for the opportunity that they had plans for something else to happen that didn't come through. All right. Summertime news number two. Lopez. Yeah. <clears throat> okay. So every year, I guess, well, COVID kind of stopped it. But every year I have this like love-hate relationship with um, this event that happens in my neighborhood mm -hmm. uh, during the summer. It's called La Vuelta. It's like this big cruise. It's, I think, every other Wednesday. Um, I have a hate relationship with it because they remove all the parking on my street. So I have to like figure out where to park. Um, but it's like a small little complaint to the beauty of the actual event where you get to see all these different car clubs come and, you know, they're cruising, uh, people are out in the community shopping at the different stores or supporting local businesses. Uh, there's like music. You can literally just hang out outside and just like pick up on the ambience of, uh, Chicano culture, car culture, um, just people really enjoying a celebration of like low riders and again, Chicano culture. Um, so it's it's a beautiful event and it happens every summer. Um, but something that's interesting is that obviously it hasn't always been welcomed in different cities. And one of those is National City, which is um, actually just south of where I live in Barrio Logan. But it, it banned cruising in 1992. And the reason behind it was that, you know, having all these different car clubs come through, you'd have like fights between people who showed up to look at these cars um, and obviously the traffic. Mm -hmm. um, and so the city banned it at that time. And other people who obviously have a love for their cars and their culture said that the law was mostly racist and that they just didn't want, you know, Latinos hanging around. Um, but that ban is actually still technically in place today, though the city did suspend it back in December. And, you know, aware of like all these complaints from people saying like, guys, just come on, like it's <laughs> 2022, like let us drive our cars down Highland mm -hmm. Avenue. Um, so they suspended it for six months. And so this coalition of cars had like this beautiful cruise down Highland Avenue. People like the UT wrote this awesome article about how people like really felt about being able to go back out there. Um, but then the city came back and told them like, hey, like, yeah, this event is cool and all, uh, but you're going to have to pay like all these fees. You're going to have to pay like $8,000 for police services. Like, obviously, these are small car club organizations that can't afford to pay $8,000. <laughs> um, so like, OK, we're not going to do that. Um, but aside for that, the one thing that I'm watching that's tied to all of this is a state effort that uh, I don't know if this is very like on brand for the state, but they're um, encouraging cities to repeal their anti-cruising ban. So they're not forcing cities to repeal their bans. They're just encouraging them, you know, because it is a celebration of car culture and Chicano culture. Um, so it's mostly symbolic, but I'm interested in seeing if, you know, it will turn into some change in law um, or if anything will happen in National City or if Barrio Logan will continue to be the one place where you can watch these beautiful cars go by. So there's something that happens in culture that's that's weird to me. So when I was a kid, when you TP'd a house, it was like a really like intense thing. Like you would run around, like hide, and mm -hmm. you you know whether it was fear that was justified or not, it was a very you felt like you were doing something really adventurous. But my daughter went to a sleepover where they TP'd the neighbor's house, and it was like chaperone. It was like a sanctioned event. <laughs> yeah. And I kept like trying to tell her like how bad it was like yeah. to do, and like you my my wife's high school. It was like you 
TP'd your friends on like the night before big games. It was like like a yeah. It was, it was like a sanctioned event. Yeah, I, it's very it's, strange to me. So this happens a lot in culture where something that was like mm-hmm. under you know it, it was a little rebellious. It mm-hmm. was against the rules, and that's partly what made it interesting. And then suddenly becomes like an endorsed, mm-hmm. permitted feed activity. <laughs> like it it feels like it loses some of. The, so what what you're saying in National City is that they've allowed it. Mm-hmm. But they've imposed something of a soft ban by making it expensive mm-hmm. in, in that, right? Mm-hmm. One thing is like if it's criminalized and there's a population that's more susceptible or you know over policed or whatever, mm-hmm. then making it legal yeah. really matter, matter. It makes a difference. Also, mm-hmm. I mean, the also difference here is like from Barrio Logan to National City is like hundreds of feet. Yeah, and it's so different, and it's sanctioned and allowed in Barrio Logan. <laughs> so like, yeah, that the you know I don't know that the legality is going to meaningfully change the culture when you you can do it legally right Just over there. Just a couple blocks. Yeah. Yeah. So are the fees being reviewed or is it uh, is it just the way it is? No, the city said that like that's a fee that they would expect of any other organizer and that, you know, they were making their argument that we're not like putting a soft ban and we're not punishing these people unfairly because this is something we'd expect from mm-hmm. any other organization, which is a good point. Yeah. All right. Good one. Okay, my turn. I, I have some local ones, but I, I'm actually going to do one of global significance. If you don't mind? I do mind. <laughs> <laughs> so about 10 years ago, I toured the uh, nuclear fusion facility at General Atomics. So it, it's, a, um, it's a facility that was built to try to do fusion. So you understand the difference between fusion and fission, right? So nuclear power plants that we run now, they use nuclear fission where they split the atom and that works. They generate electricity. Uh, Fusion is what powers the sun. And that holds a lot more, I think, theoretical promise for energy production, right? Because the idea is like, it's an infinite source of energy and it would um, relieve us of a lot of worries about energy going forward, right? The problem is, is that to do fusion, you need to have basically the gravity and heat of the sun, and that takes a lot of energy. So it hasn't really worked out where they're producing more energy than they're losing or that they're than they're uh, using. So um, I toured this facility at General Atomics, and I remember the guy said something really interesting to me. He's like, "Look, we're there's a lot of people that want to do like the fast way, figure out some way to do this without using all this energy, without." you know, cold fusion, as it's called, some sort of easy route to this utopian future. But we're we're doing it the straight way. We're just holding this facility and people come here and test it. And they just try to make it a little bit better each time, use a little bit less energy and get a little bit more produced out of it. Right. Mm-hmm. And so uh, he said, look, I feel like we're a part of an international uh, movement. We are here and we do all these experiments and we, we get it just a little bit better each time. And then we send our, our observations in and, and everybody collects it. And thousands of scientists across the globe are doing the same thing. And over time, we will get better and better and better and better at this to where it could actually be a viable source of energy going forward, right? So that was like 10, 12 years ago. I can't remember exactly what. So I was overjoyed 
uh, a couple months ago to, to learn that that facility, that General Atomics, has produced now a um, part, a component, to what will be the largest magnet, the most powerful magnet ever built on Earth. And it's going together at this facility called ITER in France, and it's going to be the largest experiment of fusion ever built. So it's just this gigantic fusion facility, like the one at General Atomics, but just gigantic. And it's going to produce like, I think they said like 50 times the amount of energy that they that they put into it. So it, it's not going to be a power plant itself, but it will be uh, that. And they can test like how power plants might work and all the different materials they can use and all this stuff. And anyway, I just thought that was like, that was just like a really cool example of like, you sometimes are just doing one little thing as part of a much broader effort to solve some big problem or to change the the world or change your your situation. And it's really hard to ever see that come to fruition. But it also requires that everybody be in a in a state of peace and cooperation, right? Like we can't have that collaboration with scientists across the world if there's not if those scientists aren't getting paid if they are if they don't have like a comfortable place to live if they're if they're at war with each other right like uh the uk was part of this consortium that, that built this thing this eater thing in in france but they had to renegotiate their partnership after they left the union like it's everything is so tenuous built on laws and trust and collaboration and communication and i just feel like it was it was like a a special recognition of what happens when that kind of collaboration is allowed to proceed. And I got to say, I feel like we're at a point in the world where that is being threatened and more than ever. It's the same kind of activity that needs to happen to address climate change or to even to fix parks, right? Like you have to, if you want to fix your park. Colonize Mars. <laughs> Precisely. Somebody, there's just a bunch of component parts for decades that need to go forward for that to happen. You're right. Yeah. Thank you, Elon. <laughs> um, but anything that you want to do of significance to make the world a better place is going to be some version of this. And we are dealing right now with so many different people and forces and conspiracy theories and others that want to like really demonize and poison those kinds of cooperative, trust-based um, rule of law based kind of activities, and uh, I think that's that's scary. And I think it's it's worth recognizing as me as much as possible, like how much advancement of our civilization of our innovations require that kind of trust and communication and and lack of poisonous conspiracy theories and, and anger. <laughs> was that okay? Yeah, it was actually quite good. Okay. I uh, I think our our conceit for this show was frankly pretty tortured in the first place so i'm i'm glad that you just went with something, went with something else that you wanted to talk well, about it's it local, worked out sorta. well yeah <laughs> yeah it was good we're going to take a quick break and stay with us are you passionate about resolving conflicts and making positive impact in the world then usd's conflict management and resolution masters program may be for you Learn to address conflicts at all levels, from personal disputes to global crises. Join the Croc School's dedicated community, fostering peace and understanding while you acquire practical skills to navigate diverse settings. 
Apply now and be the change you want to see in the world. Visit sandiego.edu slash peace slash VOSD. That's sandiego.edu slash peace slash VOSD. Join culture creator Ramel Wallace, museum CEO Micah Parson, philanthropist Erwin Jacobs, and urban agriculturist Diane Moss on season two of Stop and Talk, a podcast about the future of the San Diego region. How can we create a vibrant region that celebrates our cultural richness and economic strength? Find out and hear other San Diego experts on Stop and Talk. Discover seasons one and two now at stopandtalkpodcast.com. That's stopandtalkpodcast.com. All right. All right. You're up again. I'm up again. Uh, so the, the next thing I'm paying close attention to, um, maybe maybe I'll even do some reporting on it, is uh, what's up with all this office space being built in downtown San Diego? It's a lot. Who's going to fill it? What businesses? What businesses are going to fill it? The the big story that we t- tend to hear around businesses and office space is them wanting less of it, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, increasingly trying to actually occupy less of it or none of it at all, or having hard battles with their employees because of uh, attempts to force people to occupy office space. So I had an a argument by an economist recently that the run-up in home values over the last two years was essentially just a transfer of commercial real estate values to residential real estate, Mm -hmm. which mirrored what was happening in the pandemic era. And yet, here in downtown San Diego, for the first time, we've got like significant office space being built, brand new. Yeah, so there's the old Navy Broadway project iqhq yes it's being built we don't know what tenants are slated for that right not been announced it would seem like they wouldn't build thousands and thousands of square feet of office space like that were they not to have already identified or to have clear market research suggest suggesting that they'll be able to find tenants and when did they start the project well, they started the project, I think, in 2020. I think. Well, so Doug Manchester started the project in 1990. Well, 98 or whatever. And then yeah. they finally got the permits in 2006 or. F- yeah. And then they broke ground for the, the Navy headquarters that he was contractually obligated to build and has now finished in. I don't know, 2016 or 17 or something like that. So it's been a a long march to this point. He sold off basically all of the rest of the project to this other developer, IQHQ. They didn't break ground until the pandemic was, or I don't even think they they were, they uh, signed on to the project until the pandemic had already taken place. They've moved forward. You know, there were opportunities to change change directions. I would assume if 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 you didn't think that that it was promising. Um, but like those structures are going up the, you know, you can go down to the, go down to the kissing statue thing and, and, and look East and you will see lots of beams. The, the, the buildings are being constructed and it's not clear who's going to occupy them, but those are smart people with lots of money and deep pockets who are building those buildings. So I assume that they have some idea of where it's going. It was easy to be cynical and, to 
be dismissive of the likelihood of those projects coming up for a long time. But at a certain point, you got to assume that there's something to it. And there's the Horton Plaza redevelopment, which is essentially moving on the same trajectory. They're further ahead. Um, Not clear who those tenants are going to be either. There's office space across the street from that as well. Um, And so, you know, it's, as I say, it's been easy to be cynical for a while. There's been this narrative about creating a tech uh, cluster in downtown San Diego. And yet every time any company of any technological prowess announces a expansion in San Diego, it does not happen downtown. No, it's it like, happens yeah, in Sorrento Valley. Valley. Yeah. Yeah. So this was land, just another quick context. This was Navy land. The old Navy Broadway complex was there right at Broadway and Pacific Highway. Mm-hmm. And uh, they wanted a new headquarters. So they offered up the rest of the land in exchange for somebody building them headquarters. They could have a hundred year lease on the rest of the land and build whatever they wanted. Yeah. And Manchester got that deal, very controversial. And yeah, for years, people were like, he's not going to be able to build it. He's not going to be able to build it. He, and he ended up building the Navy Broadway, the headquarters, and then sold off the rest. And it looks like he probably did fine. It's, I mean, yeah, it seems a lot of, lot of skepticism. And he seemed, I mean, he, he might have taken a loss, but, you know, I don't know, but he's, he got out of this. Uh, and so, and one interesting question is like, there's a, a lot of talk out there if you look in, you know, Twitter land urbanism world of of media about how much we're going to see a transition from existing office space to housing that if people are going if there's going to be this large shift to remote work on an ongoing basis then like broadly speaking our office needs are going to go down our housing needs are going to go up and maybe a lot of these office properties in large downtowns should be transitioned to apartments that's like not nearly as easy to do as you would think um this office space for instance has zero showers in it Mm -hmm. the one we're in right now you need to put in plumbing to provide toilets and showers and sinks for you know if you're if this floor is going to become uh you know let's i guess you could probably squeeze eight or ten apartments on this floor if if that's what you wanted to do well right now there's a men's room and a woman's room right, right next to the elevators you know it wouldn't you would need to change a lot and that would need to be changes at the structural level of the building. So like if those sorts of things are going to happen at this project and that's like even a tricky thing if you could do, cause that's on port tidelands. So you're not really supposed to have housing there. Maybe you could in this circumstance because it's a federal government owned property and they would trump the state tidelands. Uh, I don't know. So that's the, the, the whole thing I'm watching is there are lots of, expensive looking buildings going up that are aimed for high rent downtown tech focused uh built businesses and we still haven't heard who that's going to be but the buildings are going up i think you should do a story you ready for your second one lopez sort of (laughs) (laughs) what's up So I feel like for a couple of weeks, we've heard a lot about like crime going up, though San Diego is still a safe city. We've heard about the challenges that police officers are dealing with. Um, I believe we've talked on the podcast about, you know, the city requiring um, a vaccine and the police officers and their union kind of like pushing back against that. And then the city threatening, okay, you guys are going to get fired. But then obviously that didn't happen. 
Um, but the UT published a story, I think it was early this week or weekend, I don't remember, um, about how many officers have left the department. And so I'm just curious about your guys' thoughts. And I think it's worth watching and seeing what happens as time goes on. But um, according to the reporting, more than 230 officers left the department last fiscal year. About 76 of those just retired. Two were either like medical or uh, deceased. deceased, And then 93 resigned and 62 left for other law enforcement agencies. So I think the UT article had like... Um, you know, people leaving to like El Cajon, police department, nearby agencies here, uh, but even just like small cities, not just the sheriff's department. Um, and reasons for leaving were you know, vaccine requirements, staffing shortages, which require more overtime, uh, calls for changing police practices, and then just an overall negative narrative around the job that they do. Um, so yeah, just interesting to see what you guys think about that. And um, I'll just be interested in seeing how you know, that changes, if it gets worse, if it gets better. Um, they did just get an increase. So well, there's no there's very few more consistent storylines over the last 15 years in San Diego politics than that one. Yes. And so this the the one thing they say about, you know, the reputation of police and the the bitter comments and such that that I, I have trouble uh digesting that as as one of the main reasons because this again has been the single narrative since like 2007 2006 i remember going on kpbs and talking with one of the police officer association representatives about this very thing they were going to chula vista so that's it so a couple of things i think it is a, there is a, a staffing problem and something that i think people need to grapple with like if they want good response times if they want all these things there is some issue there but the the constant complaining about the pay and benefits is really hard to take because it's it, they again have constantly gotten the the raises that they've asked for they've gotten they have the the pensions were never touched in all the pension reforms they have the best pension benefit of all they um uh they still have you know the drop the deferred retirement option program where they're allowed to uh, retire, but keep working for five years. They're therefore collecting a retirement and a salary at the same time for five years. In fact, Chief Nislight is in that program, right? Mm -hmm. And and the new mayor and city council, I think by and large, are very supportive of the police officers. They are uh, they they supported their raises. Uh, they have pushed back on the narrative of of the defunding effort. There's one city council member, Monica Montgomery Step, who they are they show anger to a lot, but she I do, I haven't heard her push hard lately on much, and so I don't know what they want. I don't understand what's happening, and the only thing I can point to at this at this stage is there must be just a very in, incompetent and poorly organized management structure. How else can you explain such poor morale for a, a group of employees that have, by and large, gotten the best deal possible of any city employee group around and constantly? And they, they, do, they, they do leave. I'm not denying that they leave. They do leave. And often they leave right at that stage after the city's poured hundreds of thousands of dollars into training them. They leave to, to other mm -hmm. agencies that are very excited to have a fully trained person. And there are certainly probably is some stress in in how 
their schedules are managed, how what the low staffing and equipment means for their own quality of life. And they are clearly like mad. Like yeah. I, I mean, they clearly express that. So I'm not saying that their feelings are not or that their truth isn't real or mm-hmm. whatever, but I don't know. I don't get it. Yeah. I mean, I was just going to say that disentangling departures last year is so hard from from pulling apart the countervailing forces of or excuse me, the complementary forces of this has been happening for as long as I've been in San Diego. The narrative has mostly not changed. A few years ago, they added to it the idea that like people weren't sufficiently um, compliment, like supportive of police as well. Mm-hmm. That was mm-hmm. like came around in like Ferguson, um, and 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 the mass uh, the Great Resignation that occurred across industries. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's like, okay, this happened last year. But also it's been happening for 15 years and also it happened in every industry last year. So like I don't don't really know what to make of those numbers. You know, Um, I I, I think to your point, it is clear that the finances are bad for the city. It's expensive to train people and then lose them to other agencies. Mm -hmm. That is like that is a a, a very poor cost effective way to do business. Um, But yeah, like it's not it's not exactly obvious to me what. Is that what, you know, what is causing it? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, another thing we can dig into, maybe. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, I couldn't do a Voice San Diego podcast without talking about the homeless crisis, but I do feel like I'm looking out for a reckoning of some kind. So the n- latest downtown partnership count came out. I don't know if you saw this. So every month, of course, the downtown partnership surveys its areas, the East Village, all these places, and the immediate areas outside of downtown and does a census of the current unsheltered population. And it was bad again in June. Uh, They had a slight downtick last year or last month in May. It's back up. Uh, 1,453 people were counted as unsheltered downtown. That is up from... 1,160 last year at this time, and just 721 the year before. So double in double, yeah, double from 2020 uh, as far as number of people living. 2020 was a a weird year. Yeah, so maybe there were more people in the convention center, in the convention center, or hiding out somewhere else. But bad numbers. Uh, that's despite more money than ever being put into the system and into services, more enforcement than we've seen in a long time. Um, And I feel like we're marching toward a reckoning of some kind. And I don't know what it looks like or how it comes together, but the Housing Commission still hasn't settled its future right leadership or plan or what it's doing. There's all these discussions about safe parking lots and some sort of immediate you know, different solutions to allow people to to live without um, being on the street. Uh, and there just feels like there's a lot of infighting and lack of clarity about where, what the city's doing and who's doing what. And it just, it feels like it's, it's heading towards a crisis because I think that people are, are more concerned about it than I've ever felt and seen, and it's been at the top of the list of concerns for a long time. And I, I just, I feel like something has to give. I don't know what, and I don't know what that looks like, but um, feels like we're heading towards a reckoning on it. Yeah, those are. I mean, the, so the the 
downtown partnership numbers i think have like a reputation of being like noisy yeah not necessarily like unreliable or bad but just like up and down up and down yeah in, in some ways but like you know drawing it out like normalize it however you'd like right but the the trend line is clear and unmistakable and bad you know yeah i mean like it's <laughs> it's it's just it's one of those things that you live with long enough that it's easy to lose sight of there are 1400 people downtown Tanzania is not that large yeah that's a it's 1500 people it's a that's a lot of human beings at the the and we just it's one of those things like you were talking about earlier things that we just live with yeah. that if if somebody came and reported on as like a foreign correspondent it would be like so jarring and odd but like things we just walk down broadway or we walk down rock down walk down c street and it's just it's like uh it's it's just a very bad scene yeah so i think there's uh there's a discussion that's gonna keep heading towards some kind of climax and i'm just not sure what that will be all right summertime news summertime blues Thanks for listening to the Voice San Diego podcast, the most popular public affairs podcast recorded in this part of San Diego. Get the newsletter for this podcast at vosd.org slash pod. That's again, vosd.org slash pod. You'll get updates when we drop episodes, including bonus episodes and extra details and show notes about the stories we go over. Subscribe at vosd.org slash pod. I'm Scott Lewis, CEO and Editor-in-Chief at Voice of San Diego. Andrea Lopez Villafana is our Managing Editor. Andrew Keats is also Managing Editor. And Nate John is our producer. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next week.